I have a question for you this morning. Have you heard of the White Star Line? You may not have, but I can guarantee you have heard of what the White Star Line built. It's this picture right here, the Titanic. It was built in the early 1900s, and when the ship was launched in 1912, it was considered a marvel for the age. The unsinkable Titanic. You know, the Titanic was about 883 feet in length. If you take the ship and put it on its end, it was longer than the tallest building on Earth at the time. The unsinkable Titanic. In 1912, 1,800 people left from England, yet only five or 675 people survived. After hitting the iceberg on April 12 of 1912, the Titanic only took two hours and 40 minutes to sink. What's interesting is while the Titanic was sinking, there was another ship that was being built. It was the SS Medina. You may not even heard of the SS Medina. It was not nearly as large or grand as the Titanic. It made no claims of being unsinkable. You know, for years, it was transporting onions between Texas and New York. During World War II, it was converted into a, a, a ship to take troops. It was bombed, there was torpedo shot at it, yet the re ship refused to sink. On one crossing, it was part of a convoy, it was the only ship to make its destination. After the war ended, it was sold for scrap, but some people saved it and converted it into a liner called the Roma, cruise liner. Later on, it was sold for scrap. Someone else bought it and changed the name to the SS Doulas, and it went on to serve many other passengers. In fact, 20 million visitors, 450 ports, over 90 nations it served. You know, there's a lot of hope and anticipation for the Titanic when it was built. Yet, the SS Medina was unsung and quietly had its impact. One of the most important lessons in life is that God can use us Medinas in amazing ways. God is in the business of taking ordinary things and using them for his honor and glory. While it may be the Titanics that make the press and the headlines, it is the faithful Medinas that are making a difference. Same is true for God's people. God often chooses the smallest and weakest to demonstrate his power and I think this is a message of hope for all of us Medinas. Both the Titanic and Medina were history makers, but for much different reasons. One sunk to the bottom of the ocean. The others worked faithfully for many years. I was thinking about this as we have been going through this series, that God wants to use each one of us. We have a role at the table, not just to watch history go by, to be, but to be history makers. But the question is, is how do we do this? As we continue this series at the welcome table, I think there are some answers to that question on how we can be history makers. We're gonna look at what is considered, you know, one of Jesus's most famous meals. I will say it certainly was one of his largest meals. We're gonna look at the feeding of the 5,000. And the story begins in Luke 9, starting with verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them, 
with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, well, we only have two, five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for the crowd. About 5,000 men were there. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to distribute the people. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. There are three things as we think about this story that I want us to remember that ties back to how we can be history makers. The first word I want us to remember is this word ability. Jesus multiplied what he was given. You know, this miracle is recorded in all four gospels and each gospel adds additional narrative and a bit of color that enhances this story. This incident happens by a lake, the Sea of Galilee the town of Bethsaida. And there's a map that we can look at it, and you can see that Bethsaida is located on the very north side of the Sea of Galilee. Do you recall who was from the city of Bethsaida? One of his disciples, his name was Philip. This is the town where Philip was. He was a local. And we read in John's Gospel that Jesus asked Philip something very specifically. Could he go and buy enough food to feed the people? Philip, who knew the area, he was a local person, thought this task was impossible. And from his point of view, it probably was. They did not have the resources nor the money to do what Jesus asked them to do. You know, I think about this, you know, we are getting excited just next month, we're gonna have Sela here. October 22, seven o'clock, mark your calendars, you don't wanna miss this. Well, last week, Pastor Ruben and myself were talking to the manager, and there's a lot of logistics that have to be worked out. One of them is making sure that they are well-fed while they're here. And I was talking to the manager, and he says, well, just send us some menus from some local uh, restaurants in the city of Keene, and we'll just kind of pick from that. And I kind of chuckled to myself, not uh, realizing that one, there's not a whole lot of restaurants here, and most likely not all of them are going to be open. Simple logistical problem, but think about the logistical problem that was presented to Philip. You know, it's always fascinated me when you see these large formal state dinners, you know, at the White House or at uh, the United Kingdom. In fact, I have a picture here that shows one from the 1960s. This was during President Kennedy's era. And just look at the formality of the table here. Lots of seating, probably 200 people. Think about the logistics to do something like this. Well, with the feeding of the 5,000, we're talking about a lot more people. So what I want us to do is put ourselves in the shoes of Philip. Have you ever been faced with an impossible task? Sometimes these tasks that come in front of us, the challenges in this life are like mountains. And you realize that from our point of view, it's impossible to conquer this mountain. And it's easy for us to concentrate on what we don't have versus what we do have. You know, about 10 years ago, I went to an executive training event and this is something that was life-changing for me for one thing that came out of it. 
We had all these high-powered executives coming in. And then the second day, they broke us into these rooms of uh, you know, round tables, eight person at each table. And on the table was one of those, or two of those refrigerator magnets. You know what I'm talking about? I've got a picture there, cap on the top of it and a magnet on the inside sitting on the table, two magnets. And the facilitator said, what I want you to do as an icebreaker is in 10 minutes, I want you to connect those magnets so you're not holding them, but they are touching themselves. And of course, the polarity was, set, was such that they were opposing themselves. And I kid you not, five minutes into watching all these high-powered executives trying to untie their shoelaces, trying to wedge the magnets on a table or a chair, trying to take off watches and all kinds of things that just didn't work to connect these magnets. Now, the facilitator didn't like me because my comment was, let's just pop the plastic cap off and switch the magnet around. That was described as cheating. But the whole point of going through this exercise was it was not going to work. And the lesson, and this is a life-changing lesson, is understanding the difference between a problem and a dilemma. You see, my friends, a problem is solvable. A dilemma is not. And how much time do we spend pushing that rock up the hill trying to solve a dilemma, which by definition is not? But there's a tremendous spiritual message in the story of these magnets. And it's this, a dilemma from our point of view is simply a problem from God's point of view. A dilemma from our point of view is simply a problem from God's point of view. You remember the story of Elisha and the widow and the oil? The widow focused on what she did not have, but God through Elisha multiplied what she did have. You know, my friends, God has a plan for each person here. And many times when we deal with these obstacles, giving our problems to God or our dilemmas to God is the answer. Remember what you do have and give it to God. You know, in the story of the feeding the 5,000, there's another disciple that comes to light a little bit. His name is Andrew. What did Andrew do? Well, he found a little boy in the crowd and brought to Jesus what he could find. It wasn't much but it was something. And that's where we see the miracle at the table happen. You know, during the Depression, there was a man named Mr. Yates. He lived in West Texas, and he was struggling through the Depression to make ends meet. He was at the poverty level, and they were about to take his entire ranch. It was scary times for him. One day, a seismographic crew was coming by from an oil company and said, hey, Mr. Yates, we think there may be some oil on your land and asked for permission to dig a well. He said yes, and at 1,115 feet, they struck oil. Not just a little oil, but over 80,000 barrels a day came out of that one well. Other wells produced even more from his land. Mr. Yates owned it all, but here's the irony. He purchased the land. He had no idea that there was this rich oil well beneath him. Unbeknownst to him, he was a millionaire living in poverty. The problem, he didn't know that there was oil, even though he owned it. You know, my favorite cartoon pictures is right here. It's entitled The Impatient Oil Drillers Limited. Here you see uh, an oil field with a bunch of holes that are about two inches deep. We Christians sometimes live in spiritual poverty and if there's a spiritual oil well that we're not tapping into because we're not digging enough, what is our role at the table? So the second thing around the three things to be game changers and history makers is the word 
availability. The disciples gave what was multiplied. If you go back to verse 16, it says, then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. There are really two important words I want to highlight. Gave and distribute. Did you catch that? Jesus was the multiplier of the food, but he was not the distributor. He was the supplier, but his disciples were the distributors. The same is true here today in ministry. While Jesus is the giver of life, the church, that is us, each one of us, has some responsibilities at the table. We are entrusted to take the message and perform the task of distribution. You know, I could be the most gifted person in the world, but if I'm not using my ability, then what good is it? Ability is important, but the second word, availability, is essential. You know, I hate to break it to people, but pew warming and listening to a sermon are not spiritual gifts. All of God's spiritual gifts are proactive. Church is not a spectator sport. I have never been to a spa, but I understand when you go to a spa, you go there to relax and soak things in. Coming to church each week is not a spiritual spa where we soak in God's goodness, leave, and go on. You know, in a family unit, we all have responsibilities. We have things to do and perform. The husband, the wife, the children. That's how a family unit functions. The same thing happens for us. The great news is each person here has a role to play and an important role to play in our church and our mission. You know, we've read Paul and what he talks about in terms of the body and the parts. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And when the parts don't work together, then the work really doesn't get done. You know, I've had the opportunity in the past to do some traveling, and I spent some time in the Middle East. And in the Middle East, I learned an Arabic phrase that to be kind of honest, I don't really like it. The word is spelled grammatically E-N-S-H-A-L-A, inshallah. And what it basically means, if Allah wills it. It basically means if it happens, it happens. It sounds kind of passive, doesn't it? And I was thinking to myself and why I was struggling with that word and that phrase is in church, do we kind of have that same attitude? Do we feel that God is moving us in a certain direction? But instead of doing anything, we say, God willing. How many times have you heard the phrase God willing in your life? You know, the Bible is full of cases where God wanted something to happen and the exact opposite happened. One example, Ezekiel 22.30, I looked for a man among them who could build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. The truth is that there are things that God wants to do that will not happen until we do our part. With Elisha and the widow, God gave the gift of multiplication, but it was the woman who decided how much oil would flow out of the canister. There are blessings today that we don't have because we simply aren't doing our part. The third thing, and this is where it beautifully comes together on the table, a third word I want us to remember is the word abundance. The result was that everyone was more than satisfied. The multiplied food was more than enough for the people. It satisfied everyone. 
Everyone had as much as they could. And how many baskets were left over? There were 12. There was overwhelming abundance for all. Here's the really cool thing. Those three words come together in kind of a word equation. Ability plus availability equals abundance. It happens every time. Each one of us here are heirs of God through Christ. And sometimes we kind of forget about this. We are missing the opportunities in our lives and the abundance at the table that is promised by Jesus. Does anyone have, this is kind of a bad flashback memory for me, but remember going in elementary school and joining a music class, joining a band? When you first join a music class, you're given an instrument to play. Sometimes you don't have a choice. If I'm really small, probably not a good idea that I'm playing the tuba. So the instructor may assign an instrument based on what the school has or what they think the child might be most suited for. You take that new instrument home and it sounds like you're making squeaks and noises. Then you start to learn to play a few little notes here and there. But then the real story comes together when all the individuals come together to play in a band. The teacher raises the baton and motions for you to begin. And it sounds like a train wreck. You play at different tempos. No one's looking at what the instructor is doing. You're not listening to what each other is doing. And you hear yourself playing. You want to hear yourself playing. You're avoiding and ignoring everyone else. And the result is a bunch of soloists that sound terrible. You know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever sat through something like this? I tried for hours to figure out what that song was. I thought it was Jingle Bells, but I think I'm way off. <laughs> but you know, as practice and time goes on, you grow in experience. Eventually, by the end of high school, the bands are starting to sound pretty good. And then you get to college, and you start to hear beautiful music for everyone to enjoy. If you've ever seen the University of Ohio, their marching band, they're phenomenal. Not only are they making beautiful music that you recognize, they're also choreographed. It's not only music that you can recognize, but they're actually moving together in unison. You know, God has given each one of us an instrument to play and given us as a church, the King Church, Elevate, a responsibility and a song to play. Some of us are still trying to figure out the instrument. Maybe you're learning how to play it, and that's okay. We are here to support that. But all of us are called to be part of this orchestra, to be an abundant blessing in our community that God has placed us in. Just in a couple of hours, we've got our food bank. We'll be serving our community. We're still looking for eight to 10 volunteers to help us, so if you're free, change your clothes, come out around 11.45, and we'd be love to have you help us. But as I reflect, on the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, this bountiful table that was provided and multiplied by Jesus, it was distributed by the disciples, is in reality a table of hope. You know, this story is not about the food. It's about the people. It doesn't matter whether you're a boy who gives a small lunch, a disciple that distributes the food, or someone that helps gather the food together into 12 baskets. God has a purpose and calling, and each one of us has a role at the table. 
One of the most important things that I have learned as a pastor here over the last four years is that those that have a purpose and understand that they are called are the ones that have hope. 